in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Brian Fry, and joining me today are my good friends and co-hosts, Dustin Mallards and Chad Robinson. Dustin, Chad, how are we doing today? Quack, quack, I'm here. It's a, it's a beautiful, mild summer day here in sunny Texas. What's up, guys? <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. Dustin Mallard's here to, here to host. Quack, quack. Just so you guys know, uh, I messed up his name a couple podcasts ago, and now it's just going to be a running joke. Anytime I host, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it intentionally. I hope to get Facebook comments. Why do you keep mispronouncing your host's name? guy yeah. you don't and get my the good show. friend guy whose name i don't know <laughs> that, that is just totally happening like, i'm gonna start venturing out of the m's and i'm just gonna give you the la- the most fun last name of an actor in the movie you were doing yeah psych did it very well this is magic head i'm excited we're really entering in like a new meta of this of this show oh, this is gonna be epic we've had so many new hosts though i do feel like we have gotten the ron burgundy parts of and my good friend Chad Robinson. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm your friend now. Who put a question mark on the telephone? <laughs> We're all just reading um, from Russell's notes. Yeah, <laughs> he does. You know, he could he could really destroy me. I want I want to tell you guys. Um, I do have that problem. I will probably read whatever is on his his thing. So if he ever like just wanted to really nuke me. He could put some something crazy on this. Oh, it's too late now. <laughs> I wrote it this time. <laughs> uh, Chad, tell me, uh, what's the last movie you saw, man? Last movie I saw was The Old Ways, which was a Latin American exorcism movie. It's on Netflix right now. So I recommend checking that out. It's a different twist on the exorcist type genre. Oh, it's a scary movie? You saw a scary movie? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I have seen other types of movies in between, but that was the last one. Got to be honest. We're seeing the Paw Patrol movie tomorrow. Oh, excellent, excellent. Dustin? Well, no surprises there, no surprises here. I didn't see anything new. I rewatched uh, Troy with yes. uh, <clears throat> with Brad Pitt and Eric Bana. I was in the mood for fights. I was in the mood. Uh, my uh, <clears throat> my roommate said something about the the Ajax soap that we had. I'm like, you know what? They call it Ajax, right? Because <laughs> it's tough on grease. And then I had to explain it, and I started feeling bad about the joke. But I love the movie, so I rewatched it. That's phenomenal. I don't even. I don't think I've ever even thought about it that way. But that's that's fantastic. For myself, last movie I watched was The Man with the Iron Fists. Um, oh. After I did my prep for this movie. I was just kind of jonesing for, for more of the same, uh, obviously a, a bit of a different twist on, uh, the style of movie with that one. And, uh, but you know, being such a Wu Tang fan, 
I, it's it's a must watch if if you haven't seen it. So today, dealer's choice, Hero from 2002, starring Jet Li and Tony Ling. Its budget was 31 million dollars. It grossed 177.4 million, and uh, it placed 57th in the box office. The movie ahead of it was Saw. And behind it was cheaper by the dozen. How do we feel about its ranking in comparison to those two films, Chad? Considering the genre, I think it did all right. I'm actually most surprised that Saw was just that far down. I feel like that's a movie, love it or hate it, people wound up seeing it. It's true. I did see that one in the theaters. And I mean, it was it was a fairly... I mean, obviously, it's a shocking movie, but, man, the twist at the end was... So, uh, I, I think I'm with Chad on this one. I am, I am surprised that uh, Saw is that deep, I think, is, is the takeaway from this. Um, how about you, Dustin? You know, I know how big of an impact it had as a Chinese movie, and, like, it was the most expensive movie they had ever made. And it, for a while, I don't know if it's still the same, but, like, it's the most movie that the Chinese movie... It, it's the most money that a Chinese movie had ever made. Um, and so just to the, the difference in global box offices for being such a big deal over there and then landing 57th uh, on our box office, it, you know, show, shows a pretty big difference. But, yeah, I actually I, I also saw saw in theaters and share the same surprise. I guess maybe it's because it spawned uh, one to 200 sequels that I, I didn't know that it would be so far down the list. Yeah. Okay, so that was a little off the rails on horror movies, so a little, little extra added. The number one movie the year this came out was Shrek 2, which beat out Spider-Man 2 and Passion of the Christ. <laughs> uh, All three sequels? <laughs> on, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much would you rather watch Hero than any of those three movies? Um, oh, uh, Spider-Man Two certainly is actually a favorite of mine. I'm gonna go. I with, might be on an island here. <laughs> I'm gonna go scale of one. It's hard for me to answer the question. I'm gonna go with seven because I'd rather watch Hero more than I'd rather watch Shrek Two and The Passion of the Christ. But well, those remaining three points on this scale go to Spider-Man Two. Don't know if that's how that should have been answered. That's, but that's I mean, answer. that's fair. Uh, basically, <clears throat> if you told me that I had to watch Shrek 2, Spider-Man 2, and Passion of the Christ end-to-end, or Hero three times in a row, I would watch Hero three times in a row. Oh, yeah. I love all three of those movies, but it just blew my mind because we're just in the MCU, MCU world where MCU puts out a movie, that's the number one movie of the year. And to see something yep. like Shrek 2 being number one <laughs> and Passion of the Christ, love it, hate it, whatever. That was a phenomena. I mean, churches were renting out theaters. That was huge. huge. It's it until Deadpool again, comic book movie. It was the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time, and it gets beaten by an ogre and a talking donkey. Which I actually I love the movie, so I will go to bat okay. for Shrek too. I'm I'm just I'm trying to like. <laughs> I don't want I don't want to go into why because it's a long rant <laughs> but do you guys think that the mcu could now be like a marker in film the way we say bc and ad like are there movies like bmcu 
or AMCU? So we had the talkies in the golden age of movies. Yeah, I I do think we're going to have to address this, starting with Iron Man, of like the Iron Man is the one, yeah, the comic book age where it was just existing franchises are all we're gonna do. And we're going to make billions of dollars exploiting your childhood. And that's fine. I mean, and, and the thing is, it's, it's, I feel like it's our childhood. Yeah. They, that's being exploited. It's, it fully grown adults are their bread and butter because we were like, where was this when we were kids? Yeah. Well, it was wasted on Tobey Maguire. And we're like, yeah, we don't want that. We want this. <laughs> Curveball from from me. Uh, I was super heavy into seeing all of these. You know, we we you brought up the idea of you know a new uh, a new Saw every year or a new uh, Fast and the Furious every year. But I have actually fallen off the cliff. I don't see every new Marvel movie anymore, and I certainly don't see DC movies anymore. I think it was right around Ant Man that I stopped seeing every comic book movie, and I don't. Aside from the huge ones like uh, Infinity War and uh, uh, Infinity, Cry- I don't even know what they they're called anymore. There's a bunch Endgame that I miss. Endgame, thank you. Yeah, uh, and those are uh, those are see once and don't see. I don't watch these WandaVisions or uh, I really like Falcon and Winter Soldier as characters. Skip the whole series. There's there's an inundation. I, I, there's too much of it for me. So I'm, I think I would, I would say that while money-wise, you're talking about if, if there's a, a BMCU and an AMCU, I mean, clearly we know what the people have responded to. But for me, I've, it, they've lost me. Hmm. All right. We have hit comic book saturation. Honey, get the torches and the pitchforks. We're going to go burn down uh, Dustin Michelson's house. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be a long walk. I, I, I don't <laughs> think you're alone. I mean, yeah, we're coming out with a Black Widow movie that no one was excited for. I, I saw it. It was okay. It murdered my boy Taskmaster. Shang-Chi, it's getting good ratings. We'll see if it holds up. It'll be interesting to see what happens if people really are just getting tired of it. I, 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 I got to say no. I mean, I spent $30 buying Black Widow at home so I didn't have to go to a theater to watch it. And I'll tell you what, is it a top tier Marvel movie? No. Is it, was it worth me, you know, spending 30 bucks on it? Absolutely. That's a ticket I didn't buy for my wife and I. And look, I'm not trying to like starve theaters or anything, but when you got a one-year-old, you don't get theater time anymore. So Thank the you. fact that that was available to me was wonderful. So Anyway, hats off to, to Disney Plus for, for you know, a shot, a solid shot for those who, who can't make it to the theaters as much anymore. And uh, and look, as long as they keep making them with the quality that we expect from a Marvel movie, and I'm not saying it's going to win an Oscar. Clearly, they've made it, you know, abundantly obvious that they're never going to give MCU movies any respect in the Oscars. But I mean... It it was witty. It had action. It was compelling. The falling from the air thing was a little ridiculous, but it's a comic book movie. Like, chill out. It's just what you it's what you signed up for. Well, hey, with so, Shang Chi, we've got uh, Tony Leng in there, yeah. uh, who made his way into 2002 slash 2004's Hero. Right? <laughs> Dustin's trying over there. The movie, the movie we're here to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So okay, so completely <laughs> off the rails. I, yeah, that's my fault. Yes. Uh, IMDb rating for Hero 2002's Hero. Just in case all of you people have forgotten uh, on these tangents, 
uh, 7.9 IMDb rating. So hats off to that. I'm, I'm happy it's uh, it's keeping it real. Rotten Tomatoes. Critics gave it 94, audience 87, so critics are even uh, bigger applause. It was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film for both Golden Globes and Academy Awards, so it's getting some nods. I always appreciate seeing that on our films, especially the ones we actually like. What what's you, What were your expectations? I'm going to start with Chad on this one just because I know he hasn't seen it, and I can sneak that one in. Yeah. Um, Chad, what, what were your expectations with this movie? I'm pretty familiar with Jet Li. I hadn't seen anything that he'd particularly done for China or or part of their their film industry. And I've seen some Wuxia films. So I, I had a decent idea of what I was getting into. It was more the time period. And when this started, it was talking about China being divided into three parts and I was like, oh, cool. Is this a romance of the Three Kingdoms story? Am I going to get some Lubu? Am I going to get some of that? And it was just a completely different time period. This is the first unification of China. So all of that was a bit unexpected. And I still remember I wanted to see this movie and for whatever reason just didn't get to it. But I can still remember the trailer and being blown away of how beautiful it was and man there were things that weren't in the trailer or weren't in my memory bank and it's just a gorgeous movie through and through i couldn't possibly agree with you more on that um dustin as this is your uh uh pick uh give us a little idea of your background with it your expectations and uh how you feel about it that's right. This was my dealer's choice, and I was happy to to select this. I'm actually coming off of uh, an episode <clears throat> came out uh, last month, listeners, uh, Enter the Dragon. So I've been in a kung fu uh, – I actually thought it was wushu, but you said wuxia. So I've been in this kind of uh, mode for a little bit, and so I was glad to bring this back. I've seen this half a dozen times. I saw it in theaters um, when I was in high school. It, a, a big deal visual movie. And so coming back to it, I, I know that I needed to pay attention more because I, I think perhaps the thing that can't be explained in a trailer or can't be shown to you is the method of the storytelling, which is this is a storytelling movie. Uh, the, the scenes you see are all being told by a narrator on screen. I think we have four different narrators in this movie. So there's there's when, when these things are flashbacks or things that have already happened, then they, they get brought back up into like there's there's a lot of things to pay attention to. And so coming into this and I'm, I'll, I'll tell you, gang, I'm not 100 percent still. There's still some things I'm uh, I, I don't know all the things that exactly happen in order. Uh, but uh, that's that's what I knew that I needed to pay attention to was uh, um, which stories were tall tales and which stories were the accurate truth of what happened. But uh, the 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 three out of three here is that this is maybe one of the prettiest movies I've ever seen. Um, and, and I think the way that you would compete with a movie of this beauty is now go, like nowadays going to be completely rendered in green screen. So the on location stuff here, I mean, I, I think the only thing I could potentially think of that was as pretty as this movie is, is are the Lord of the Rings movies, uh, the New Zealand landscapes. Mm -hmm. uh, just incredible. I don't know if you can compare to that, then you're doing something right. Yeah. So um, I, I had seen this movie before. It's um, I kind of go through phases where I want to watch stuff like this, and then I kind of put it away for a little while. So I was actually 
pretty stoked that you picked this just as a good reason to come back to it. As Chad said, I find these movies absolutely fascinating. Um, it's not only the historical part, but there's nothing really like this anywhere else in the world. It's very uniquely Chinese and what, what just a gorgeous country. Like my wife came in and sat down about halfway through my second rewatch of this. And she was like, I have no idea what's going on, but it's really pretty. And I'm like, yeah, it is. I was like, these movies are so visually striking. And uh, I say these movies, this this style of movie uh, has always been very visually striking. And uh, we'll get into a little bit more with the elements. But this yeah, this is this is just a fun watch. If you are a fan of cinematography and landscape and and, and location, this is something you got to watch. When was the first time you saw it, Dustin? If it, if it, I know that we said 2002. That was the Chinese release. I think 04 was when it hit theaters. It would have been high school for me either way. But uh, yeah, I would have gone to uh, to real theaters in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, to see this movie. But yeah, I will say it may have been one of those ones that I went alone or just with one other martial arts appreciating friend because it would have been hard for me to convince a lot of people to see a subtitled movie. Right. Yeah, because because. I mean, nothing, nothing against, nothing against my East Tennessee bros, but uh, th- that that might have been a little bit too much for them to pay attention to. Uh, so, th- but yeah, it was right when it released in 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 the states. So, junior year, senior year, something like that. Very good. The only reason that I am compelled to say I didn't see it until it came out in DVD is because most of my artsy movies I saw with Chad co-host chat on this podcast right now at the warner theater in morgantown west virginia at this point in time uh we saw a variety <laughs> of of artsier movies there uh to to varying uh acceptance levels uh and since he hasn't seen it i'm, I'm assuming we didn't see this in theaters uh like no. you said it, it's a hard sell a lot of times to get people to go see subtitled films and I've gone through phases where I'm like, I just, I'm not into reading anything right now in terms <laughs> of film. And I, yeah. So I, I, I don't think I saw this one in theaters. Um, I know I saw crouching tiger in theaters Yep. and it's probably 50, 50 on house of flying daggers, but it is, it, it is a movie that I remember. I mean, I have it. So I know I at least saw it on DVD at some point earlier because I own it. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think I saw this one in theaters. Well, I was, I was glad to, uh, to, to revisit it for, for today's show and, and, uh, get the chance. I didn't know for sure I was introducing it to Chad, uh, but I'm glad that he, he got to, to see it. Uh, and then, you know, we will, we'll, we'll get into it, but, uh, yeah, kind of a, kind of a cool thing to be able to share, um, something so striking like this. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dude, dude, Chad's getting like an onslaught right now. Like I hit him with 12 angry men. You're hitting him with hero. I mean, it's like a thing right now. I was Andres so sad to... through and hit... <laughs> with the, with the, uh, born on the 4th of July. Yeah. I was so sad to be <laughs> left out of 12 angry men. Like I was scheduled for that show. Please listen to it anyways. Or, or you may be enticed. You're like, Oh, Chad's not on that. But, uh, yeah, Russell, <laughs> Russell had to fill in. That was a great movie. Go see that movie. 
I, uh, I, I was so ecstatic that you hadn't seen it. Like I was upset. That was one of those things. It, it's like a diamond. Like it's just one of those things where I'm like, you mean I get to be the one? Like that's, <laughs> now, now to be fair, to be fair, uh, this was actually uh, this was a Ryan Haupt pick. So our co or guest host for that episode gave us a short list. This was on it. And I insisted. So oh, yeah. I was just, I, I was the Chris Paul here. I only assisted this movie happening, but uh, no, I just, I, I can't get over the fact that, that I got the honor of, of pushing that forward for you. I was mad I too. I was texting so Russell. Enthused. I was like, this is the one movie I didn't want him to pick. It was an awesome short list full, full of things. I love it was like fry. Don't pick this. Everything else is cool. And I was like, charging in <laughs> 12 angry men and i was i was this, upset it was fairly meme worthy i was like we're doing 12 angry men right no i mean we're we're doing 12 angry men right all right off the rails again but anyway listen to 12 angry men we will be back in just a minute after this advertising break there will be spoilers so plot summary ahead if you have not watched this yet if we haven't spoiled it a little bit already telling you how beautiful it was than it is. And here is our advertisements. Enjoy. What happens when two modern film fans go back and rewatch all the old classic films from yesteryear to see if they hold up? You get the Classic Film Jerks podcast. Find the Classic Film Jerks podcast on all the major platforms. Welcome to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And every week we review a movie from the past and reflect on things we missed, things we loved, and things we want to see again. Yeah, because we believe any movie worth watching is worth watching again. So if you like films, friendship, and a lot of callbacks, I mean, just so many callbacks, then subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever RSS feeds go for like-minded, movie-loving individuals like you all right we are back and now for your plot summary now again spoilers lie ahead so if you are planning on watching this movie and i highly recommend you do watch it before you listen to this part right now chinese propaganda the movie during the warring states period of ancient china nameless meets with the king of the kin who has survived numerous assassin assassination attempts. Oh, alliteration. Shouldn't have done that. That should probably indicate this isn't a good dude, but I digress. So Nameless claims to have killed three would-be assassins and displays their weapons to the king and recounts how he accomplished such a feat. The king calls shenanigans at the end of Nameless's fantastic tale and then spends a different story of how he thinks things might have actually gone down. Nameless does concede a few points, but then proceeds to tell the true story of his victory, including that he didn't really kill the assassins after all due to a perfect technique. The king is touched by the story and realizes Nameless is there to kill him, so he naturally hands over his sword to an assassin. <laughs> then turns his back and reads beautiful calligraphy from a scroll and describes the ideal warrior as someone who has no desire to kill bold move although the kin had killed his family nameless reconsiders the assassination and decides to walk away 
realizing the king is the only one strong enough to unite China and make it our land. The king promptly has Nameless executed because, well, you can't exactly let assassins traipse about the countryside unpunished, and two of Nameless's accomplices die fighting each other. Nameless receives a hero's funeral, and we learn that the Kin King becomes Shi Huang, the first emperor of China. All hail the glories of the CCP. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. Excellent. I really shouldn't have put the word accomplice in my plot summary so many times when I cannot say it. <laughs> you, you said it just now. I know. The pressure's off. You can say it now. Yeah. Well, so, so my first thought was uh, Hot Shots Part Two, where it's like when he tried to assess, 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 kill a guy. Yes. Anywho, we're we're just determined to not talk about this movie. Yeah. You will hear a lot of detractants on this. Those do not exist. Uh, Dustin, as you are the one that brought this movie up, I will allow you first dibs on our plot discussion. So give me your lowdown on how this movie is awesome and why you love it. Sure. Well, and I, I do love it, and I think it's awesome. This this movie is above all else beautiful, as we mentioned before the break, um, and we we see it uh, in the form of, as was said in the plot description, uh, so, some stories being told between Nameless, played by Jet Li, uh, and the King of Kin, uh, one of the one of the uh, states of 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 pre unified China. And the, the story, I think there's two stories going on here. There's the plot to kill the king. And then there's also a, a tangled web of, of love and deception and what ideals are highest between two of the assassin accomplices. That's how you say it. Um, and th- <laughs> show off. That is, that is a really, a really compelling part of this movie is, uh, is, Martial arts is fascinating to watch, and when you can fill the spots in between the fighting and the dancing and the flying and the music and the colors, uh, then if you can fill that spot with a with with some story elements that are uh, that are very cool that are well acted uh, that that have um, emotion in them, I I think that uh, there were times when I was younger when I would fast forward through the the beautiful scenes and just get to the fighting. But rewatching it this time, uh, the movie's awesome because the the rest of the movie together, whether it's the the changes in directions, the zigs and the zags of how the stories are, we know that the stories are being told, and one of one of them is intentionally a lie. One of them is the king's uh, supposition of what's happening, of what's actually happening. Then they they counter back and forth. One says you've underestimated me. No, you've actually underestimated somebody else. Here's how these. Slight changes affect the retelling of the final story. I don't know how – I didn't plan on that being succinct, but the, the storytelling from this, this frame tale is really cool, um, especially since it's filled with all types of sword play and just incredible visuals. Agreed. I told Russell when I got into this I was expecting 
an action movie, and I was expecting something. There's been a lot of literature, video games, even movies about Romance of the Three Kingdoms. So when they're starting with the Three Kingdoms, I'm like, all right, this is what I'm getting. We're going to get the, the true warring states. What I didn't expect was story time. And I think that lent a little bit to this genre. And I did have to look it up because I, I was in Dustin's camp of, isn't it Wushu? But according to Bing, Google, everything else, it's Wuxia. Wuxia. You know, that enabled a lot of the Wuxia elements, the elevation and the slow movement and the impossible feats that they're doing. And it kind of comes closer to reality towards the end. But I feel like the story uh, narrative really aided and allowed for the suspension of disbelief. Sure, yeah, they're flying around, they're dancing on water, they're splitting arrows in half. Just all of that cool stuff could only really be done in a I'm telling you a tall tale. And I'll give you this. I want more movies where people just give wild narratives. You know, can we get a Western yeah. movie about a bunch of cowboys sitting around a, a campfire talking about, well, yeah, I I took down this entire saloon with one revolver or something like that, one bullet. I don't know. I just want more of this style of movie in other genres. I actually think there's a lot of tie-in. I, I don't have like a whole bunch of stuff like on my hip to, to spit out here, but... I do think that there is a fair amount of tie-in, uh, Unforgiven being one of them, where they borrow a lot from Eastern culture, movie, and storytelling for Western film. Hmm. Okay. As in, as in what you're seeing you know isn't realistic. I believe on uh, our Silverado episode, we, we talked a little bit about the one guy shooting a Molotov cocktail out of the sky with a shotgun. <laughs> and the, the idea of things being incredible is kind of why you go to the movies to to see somebody to see somebody do the normal lo most logical thing doesn't make good movie making or storytelling always uh, but yeah I, chad i think you really hit it uh, which is which is uh storytelling allows for the uh, you said like like splitting through an arrow, catching an arrow out of the sky. Uh, we have an example of um, <clears throat> somebody piercing through the, I guess, the haft of a paintbrush um, and splitting all of the little hairs into like a a, a, a poof of disintegration. Um, like that's through how like, swift your sword is <laughs> and accurate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it's um, the the. Without being some type of supernatural magic, uh, I think what we are getting is um, – what would you guys describe it as? The things that protect the let, – let's take an example like Broken Sword and Snow storming the castle of 3,000 guards. Uh, there's no reason that two people should be able to get through that many people. Uh, in some movies, it's magic. In some movies, it's divine favor. I think in movies like this, you would call it some type of swordsman's aura. We've got chi. Have a name for this? Yeah, chi? it's their chi. Guys, I spent years playing Dynasty Warriors. I do this on the reg. <laughs> yes, again, you get Lu Bu in charge. It's like, do not engage with Lu Bu. It's like, I'm going to ignore that game. Oh, oh, you were serious. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, I think he just ran in. <laughs> <laughs> Save him. 
So, yeah, uh, I mean, look, it's I think that as you go through this movie and you see the the pieces of fact and fallacy as they are laid out by the various narrators and the way that they lay them out, uh, distinguish them sh- themselves in their attire. Yeah. Whose story is equivalent to what they're wearing. You can to the emperor's perspective, it could be, it was like he, it was like they fought through thousands of guards. Yes. That's a great way of putting it, man. It wasn't necessarily that it happened that way. It's, it felt like it happened that way because they got to me. Yeah. So when you do storytelling and humans are prone to exaggeration it makes a more compelling story if if they are literally sw- you know slapping guys aside with their shirt sleeves <laughs> like i hit you right. in the face with a drop of water and you went ah like it's a more compelling storytelling aspect to have it done that way because it gives credence to the gravity of the situation and it allows you to make a picture that is otherwise mundane be, you know, have gravitas. That's a really great point. Uh, we, we've said, uh, at least one or two of us have said water dancing. The, the, the scene where Broken Sword and Nameless are fighting over the lake uh, is the king's approximation of what the lie has to be. Yeah. He wasn't there. He's he's telling Nameless what he thinks happened. Um, and so instead of a, of a fanciful tale of a lie where they pretend to fight and one guy just says, okay, you got me, take my sword to the king, uh, we have maybe, maybe one of the most incredible uh, locations that they shot at, that lake. Uh, do you guys know where that lake was? Somebody does. Is, is that the, where that shot is in Mongolia near Kazakhstan? I, I don't. I don't they remember where shoot, that one was. They did I, I, shoot in Mongolia, I, but I, as far as geographic China, I'm out. Yeah, yeah not, not so good that with is, that one either. Sorry, let me let me chime in right here because it is something that kind of uh, messed with me a little bit, and this just is a it's a good um, segue. And this actually is my change one thing. I felt like they took too many liberties on beautiful scenery of China to maintain the illusion that this all happened within a designated area. So you're saying too many seasons, too much snow, fall? Well, I mean, you obviously have like high desert China. You have the Pinnacle Islands. You've got, you know, out, outward toward Mongolia. I understand he's traveling. But there are only a couple people that we're dealing with, and two of them are in the same place. That's so true. It, yeah. it, it, it just I, – I, I felt like they were really capitalizing on the beauty of the country, which no fault there. But I do feel like if I did two days of research, I would find that Sky and Broken Sword were waiting for word on whether he succeeded – 300 miles from where the scroll was made 
which was, you know, yeah, thousand miles away from where he fought Scott. Like it just how they brought up the kingdoms in that map in the very beginning. I, I just feel like they were all over the place for the country. And I could be wrong. Like I said, I'd have to do research on this, but it, it felt like the, the plethora of beautiful China that they, they, they put into this movie happens spread across an entire country when maybe what they're really getting at is more localized. That makes sense to me. I know that you are up in the Pacific Northwest, and I I know that I traveled from I, I traveled from Walla Walla, Washington, down through some uh, an incredible mountain pass where I was wearing flip flops and a t shirt with snow on the ground, and it was 55 degrees out. And then I traveled about two hours northeast to Hell's Canyon in Idaho, and where it was 110 degrees in rocky desert with some awesome like. Uh, you know, Pueblo-style towns with the big rock formations up top. Um, so I'm not I'm, – I, this isn't meant to say that uh, – I, I think what you're saying is valid. Like, like this is almost a continent's worth of different places, and the main story happens between two of these provinces of the original seven that they show on the map, uh, which is Qin and Zhao. Um, and I think that's kind of – we are looking at a small space, not that whole map. We're looking at a small space of things happen. Um, but I, I, I think my my main response to that would be that this is probably where what mattered was the colors and the 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 shots as opposed to the believability of how close they were in proximity to one another uh, to where like the the vision like the director's vision probably took precedence over the how well do you believe this uh, oh could 100%. Have happened. yeah oh no I, I I'm I hundred percent. I, I just, as a, as an addendum to this, it, it's just one of those things that took me out of it a little bit. Like as I'm watching, I'm like getting a little whiplash on locales. Yeah. Like you don't get beautiful lagoon fight after you just quote unquote killed wife, lover, in the desert, you in know what I mean. Desert, like yeah. it, it, it was, it was very shifty to where I'm like, okay, well, how? Those horses ain't that fast. Yeah, so it, it's not a gripe. I want more beautiful locale. I want to see more of this country. I want it. I want it to be a showcase. Like this should be a. This should be a. Um, uh, a travel like benefit like you should show this movie on flights to china and be like look how awesome this is you should go to all these places. <laughs> so uh, i get it in terms of really showcasing the variety that you can get from china but at the same time like when you have such close proximity pieces then to have such a drastic change in and, and like you said you know, Pacific Northwest is a great example. We've got so many. I have a rainforest three hours away. It's like every biome is within yeah. Yeah, half a so day. So I, I get it. I get it. I get that piece. And that could be true. And that's a research piece. But it is something that took me out of the movie a little bit, I guess is my point. I mean, that happens for people. I imagine it happens all the time to people that live in Georgia where a bunch of things are filmed. I keep going to ba- back to Batman which was filmed in Pittsburgh, they're taking roads and we're, 
I'm sitting there watching the movie with a bunch of yinzers. You know, you can't go that way. People are shouting in the theater like you, you'd wind up in a completely different part of town. So, yeah, there's you're probably doing the job of a Chinese film critic that uh, isn't allowed to write what you just said in his country of like, hey, you, you, you can't do this. This show's already banned in China. I don't care. This 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 particular episode, not the whole show. They can listen to other ones. Just we we're not gonna we're not gonna put this on the Chinese feed. Yeah, they um, started it until my plot summary, and now it's gone. So I, uh, you know, I will say as far as taking you out of it, there's what what there's four five principal actors in this movie, right? Yeah, right. Um, say five. five. Five is a good five, right? So we have we have the three assassins. Well, okay, we've got we've got King, Nameless, three assassins, and then Moon, uh, who is Broken Swords okay, apprentice. We'll so six. let's say six, and 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 they take up ninety eight percent of the movie. So so when we have a vast a, 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 like array of places that they are, and there's only this many people doing anything. Uh, and combined with the the storytelling method, which is uh, primarily in flashback, I agree with you. It is that's where I I kind of get taken out of it because part of what's getting in the way of my enjoyment of the movie is like keeping track of what's real, what's the lie, uh, or what's what's the story, what's the approximation, who was actually killed, who who actually did what. What, if if my favorite scene is actually not the truth of what happened, was it still my favorite scene because it did not happen? There, I would say combined with the storytelling method, the the vast like distance between where some of these places are, and just the few amount of people, I'm actually surprised at how just having so few people can pull off a story like this. I think that's a a really yeah, I mean it's a good point. But I would also say that part of the fun of this movie, uh, fun is a poor dictionary word for what I'm really trying to get at, but the variations in memory or telling of how this story unfolds is the bread and butter of the of the story. Like, yeah, I. <laughs> If I could cut off three characters, I would do Moon, the Emperor, and Sky. Because Sky, Sky yeah, the, the spear user. The core of this movie is about a couple and Nameless. And his insistence that he can accomplish something that only half of the couple once accomplished. And that's the real story. And I'll tell you why. When I was rewatching this, I still remembered what happened. But I was like, when I hit the point where the emperor calls him out and says, you've underestimated me, there's still a full hour left in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so you've already had him feasibly kill Sky. You've already had him tell his tale of defeating the lovers. And the emperor calls him out of it. So the, the deception piece doesn't start until then. So you have almost, I want to say, two-thirds of the movie still to go. 
And it is about this couple that he has to not only convince, but they also have to get around themselves in order to do. And I feel like that in itself feeds into the idea that, like, there's really only three people that are important in this movie. And if I absolutely had to, I'd will it, whittle it down to two, and it's not nameless. Oh, man. This, uh, Interesting. I, I, I think the director would disagree with you. I mean, this, this is a nationalist movie. It definitely has undertones. It has collectivism. It has sacrificing what you want for the good of, at the end, it even says, one China. So it's submission to an emperor putting down your rebellion, putting down what you want for this one China, one our land type thing. So to me, the emperor and nameless could have done this without everybody else. I mean, yeah, he needs that conversation with Broken Sword, but those two are pretty much the ones to me. I, I, I guess I would go the opposite direction. You could cut out the love triangle for me. That's, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't need it. Well, one, the love triangle was fake. Yeah. And two, I would say that the love piece of this is the act of rebellion. It is the piece that the state would overlook saying, oh, look, this is the message we're sending. But they planted the seed of dissidence in the story with these two. I'm so, shifting gears. My my brain is shifting gears right now. Over the last minute, I'm trying to get. I'm I'm getting there. This is like the the piece that I took away as the most important piece was the fact that you do have differing opinions within the core, and even though it ended up being you know the emperor lives, the person pro emperor lives still dies and the one who was pro emperor dies kills herself on the altar of love because she didn't realize what the cost was for the greater benefit so i I, I get what you're saying about state peace but i think that the the hidden piece of this movie was really about the two of them I don't know. I don't think it's it's hidden. I, it's definitely not what you get in the trailer. Or um, I, I think somebody would say, "What kind of movie is this? Is this a love story? <clears throat> is this a martial arts movie? Wuxia? What, what are you getting out of it?" And um, I, I would say, and I've said it before on this podcast that I think romantic love usually butts its way into far too many movies, but. The, the, this particular story told in this framing is welcome to me uh, while watching. And, and um, I, 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 th- with this rewatch, even though I've seen the movie several times, I, I did pay, pay more attention to, to the motives here. In the end, there's of, – of the actors here, uh, we, we – once Donnie Yen leaves the screen, he doesn't come back. 
uh, Sky, Sky did his part and is in there for a fight. And essentially, he, he's he's kind of done. His job's done. We actually learned that uh, the truth is that he was stabbed with the super special technique that does not kill, and he's recovering well. So uh, at credits, Sky's doing just fine. We know that the lovers, Broken Sword and Snow, uh, both do perish. But it, it, is o- it is only Snow at that point who is driven towards the, the Emperor Must Die. And we only get a couple minutes. This is, in, uh, this is in Broken Sword's flashback story, which is told in a different color. I believe his color is mm-hmm. green. He's retelling it in green of when they first met, how uh, he, you know, he, he was a wanderer and she was the daughter of a famous general of whom like her he inherit she inherited the sword of so she was a daughter of Zhao the other province or state so she's driven towards like I am I am a citizen of Zhao and this is the only, this is what I must have um and so she's never ever convinced that the right thing to do is to, is to spare the emperor it's only broken swords vision that then translates over to uh, Nameless's uh, vision or ideal that this is the only way that things can go, um, and and I and I do think that as far as the what the what what the king's role here is, uh, I think they went a little too heavy with the only an assassin can understand what I really want. That what I really want is is peace, and uh, I, I think that's where uh, to get back to the 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 Chinese propaganda aspect of this that you had brought up in the plot discussion, like. Uh, oh wait! So the leader was right the whole time, and he's the only one that can do this. And we all and and the best thing to do is is to all uh, surround him with love and support only. Uh, I th- that came on a little thick uh, late, um, but these are things I only paid attention to this time because I am usually a little too distracted by, whoa, super awesome flying fighting. I mean, we we made the comparison, uh, at least scenery-wise, of Lord of the Rings, but this movie itself, it's like the Wuxia Lord of the Rings, except Frodo decides that the ring should actually be given to Sauron during the climax scene. And it's so beautiful that absolutely no one questions this decision. (laughs) I think that at that point in time in history, the ebb and flow of power happens as easily as the ocean does it. So I'm not trying to belittle the fact that, you know, decisions were made one way or the other. I, I guess I'm, I'm, I am more enthralled by this movie based on the flying snow broken sword piece than I am with the political aspirations of its making. Yeah. I, for me, unfortunately, I can't divorce them. And it was one one of the things that, you know, we come to the end and this guy does become the first emperor of China. He founds the Qin Dynasty. It's extremely influential in Chinese history. He also establishes the first police state. And it's, it's so at the end, it's just leaving this really, really tough taste in my mouth of like, this dude purged mm. scholars. They wrote poetry called The Ten Crimes of Kin. 400,000 people died building a wall for him. Just like, all right, this is, we're celebrating yeah. this dude. And it's it, it's tough for me. I, I come from a historian background. And we This was actually right. 
one of the things I studied in college. Uh, great teacher. But yeah, it's a... Uh, <laughs> when I figured it wasn't going to be Romance of the Three Kingdoms and Complete Chinese Fable, I'm like, oh no. Oh no, this is the wrong period. Oh no, I know who this guy uh, is. <laughs> you know, the, uh, about five minutes ago now, I was going to ask, like, does the... Uh, purpose of this movie's creation stand in the way of your enjoyment of it i think it does. That was gonna be a question but the answer it's not a question anymore it's just it's just fact is that of the things that if you could isolate what is what was the reality of what happened especially talking to somebody that, that is as steeped and knowledgeable of history like yourself I, I can see how it does get in the way of what if if that if if the subject material was not true uh, like th that, then this could be appreciated without having to look through the lens that you must look through. That makes that makes sense. That makes more sense now. Yeah, to me, it's it's like if Russia made a movie about the assassination of a guy named Yoseb Yugashvili. He later becomes Joseph Stalin, changes his name. You can't. Uh, it's tough glorifying the creation of the world's first police state. So uh, yeah, I mean, not to not to drag down some of the other things and get into these very serious topics but for, for me with the background that i come into and and the knowledge of this period it's like man we're ending this and i kind of had just wished you know the eye bulge and you get that fake out and we all know it's like he didn't kill the emperor but they they gave us that little tease of maybe he did he didn't kill the king I'm like ah, this this <laughs> ends. They're not going to inglorious bastards it and uh, change change what what actually happened. Yeah, uh, it inglorious bastards is a good comparison. So uh, toward the end of this movie, uh, when they actually do fire on Nameless, like I said, my wife came in at the bottom half of this. Uh, she was like, "That's a bit overkill, right?" <laughs> <laughs> no. And it, well, no, no. Then it hits. And I look at her and I say, all right, now kill everyone who missed. Yeah. Well, right. It reminds me of uh, The Last Jedi, where he's just screaming, more! And he's blasting Luke with the AT-AT, just screaming more. Yeah, yeah, that that's the equivalent. Hey, at least that was precise. I mean, this is ridiculous. Like, if you're <laughs> shooting an entire city, I understand the blanket coverage principle. But, dude... The guy is standing right there. I was like, dude, you just did like, all right, here's a block. And we fired arrows and then they landed as a block. And I understand it from a cinematography aspect is like, here's where his body was. And it's. Do you remember? But I mean, I'm with you. I actually thought about that for the discussion of, of today's on today's podcast of like. Well, they're probably trained to fire on cities. They're never trained to adjust their angle to fire on one person. So it probably went off exactly as it should have. But the, the, the thing, I, the, the thousands of arrows that are there made me think of um, kind of a, a – there's, I don't think there, – there's, there's very little comedy in this movie, uh, very little. But maybe the only part that I thought was comedic was uh, – Nameless and Snow are complementing each other's fighting styles after they use their chi to defend arrows from destroying the calligraphy school occupants completely. Uh, if if you look in the background while they're talking on the roof, 
the the city looks like a bunch of sea urchins like with all of the, the arrows yeah. uh, just all, all over everything that's something that like like it just the sheer volume of what this war force is for the the Kin dynasty i mean it's it's in it's in the movie a lot considering oh, yeah. that it's it's almost always we're almost always dealing with one-on-one battles i i i actually found it uh, as i said the last movie i watched was troy with a lot of giant battles uh, it's it's great for me to see some one-on-one kung fu see i'm i'm okay with the We'll call it overkill, but I don't think it was enough with arrows. We don't know what these dudes, this dude's power is. He can just, he's possibly killed several assassins. He can fly. He can jump. Who knows? Maybe he can teleport. Blanket. Blanket whatever you can. Make sure. Okay. That's fair. (laughs) No, that's fine. I mean, maybe he could like just, you know, jump over the wall or something. I, I get it. Okay. I get from that standpoint, but. I feel like if you recuse yourself from killing an emperor, which I feel like everyone at witness saw, do a slow walk outside as everybody's like, oh, snap. They gave him a big, wide berth all the way to the gate. Yeah. Like, that's a tap out. Like, this dude could have messed you up. He could have messed him up. Like we, we already saw the proposed, what two of these people could do to guards. Granted, we're, we're talking about point of views here, but I just thought it was a little silly. I, it would have been more honorable for the emperor in this scenario to not riddle this guy with arrows to simply take a House Stark aspect to it and say, I will be the one who kills you. Yeah. Honorably. Not by death by a thousand arrows, really? Like, that's that's what you've got for this guy who just spared your life in hopes that you unify the country? In the back, might I say. This the yeah. the actual king had a ton of assassination attempts on him and they were hilariously inept. Like one guy forgot his knife <laughs> and none of the palace guards were allowed swords. Like I really hate when I go to my assassination and forget my knife. But uh <laughs> same. Same. There, there were like three just the most inept assassination attempts. So this one at least he posed a threat. But yeah. I, I could see that of you get your head chopped off instead of shot in the back with a thousand arrows. Or or whatever. I mean, it's it, it just seemed very ineloquent for for a, a completely eloquent end. Like he set it up to be honorable. Yeah. I think what we, we might have a little bit of uh like a symptom of, of there was a, a, a period where any any movie with archers is going to do that like black out the or blot out the sky <laughs> archery scene. Our arrows will black out the sun. You had to say it. You fight in the shade. Yes. Uh, like that that really dominated war scenes and probably still will forever. Is hey, we can make this look like that 
and every scene has it. I mean, Troy had it. Um, the 300 movies had it. Like, like a whole bunch of movies do this now. It almost felt like uh, somebody should have said to to uh, Zhang Yimou, "Could we do like a executioner's axe or something?" Like, no, more arrows. More arrows. <laughs> we spent all this money on arrows. We gotta use them. Well, the funny thing was, I kept going back to English movies while I was watching this, where they didn't want to fire volleys because of how expensive arrows were. <laughs> oh wow! And this is. This is year. I mean, this is, this is literally hundreds of years later. So I'm just sitting there thinking, like, there must be just infinite arrows. Like that just must not even be a a thing for them. Hear that, or it's like the Chris Rock sketch of uh, his gun control make bullets really expensive. So when a guy gets <laughs> shot six times, <laughs> man, he must have really deserved it. Yeah, that's like ten thousand dollars. <laughs> that guy deserved it. Yeah. Uh, I did see Jackie Chan was offered the role of the king. He turned it down. I'm I don't know about you guys, but I'm actually pretty glad that happened. Yeah, good on him. That's uh that would have been super distracting for me. Yeah, I didn't know that, and you're spot on. That would have been crazy distracting. I uh, I actually think that that's the reason he turned it down was was he didn't want it to be a a, a side piece, and. I I like the casting of this movie overall, but I will say that The Emperor was my least favorite. Hmm. Well, they tried a... It was for Sky, Robin Shao, the guy that played uh, Liu Kang in Mortal Kombat. Love that dude. He was the first hmm. choice. He dropped out. I, I go back and forth on that one. Sky, Sky wasn't a huge part of the movie. I do like Donnie Yen. But Robert right. Shaw is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it's because there's so few people that are on screen, so few, so few actors on screen. We actually have a, a very limited amount of acting. We we have people doing the roles of the plot, but the, the it's I would say the most on screen acting would be between the couple, would be between Broken Sword and um, and, and Snow, uh, and and so uh, you know Donnie Yen doesn't do anything but be stoic. I think he maybe says some words, <laughs> but he, he's stoic. Um, and it's a cool scene. I and mean, we haven't talked about the fighting scenes like in microcosms. And that's the thing that drew me to this movie, but that's, that's okay. The, the, the thing about like the emperor, I, the thing that um, had him elevate a little bit to me is um, during the, one of the green flashbacks in the dark palace with the green drapes, another just absolutely stunning visual um, scene where you see him fight against Broken Sword one-on-one, that uh, kind of elevated his character a little bit to me, is that uh, I think a lot of times your, your emperor, surrounded by guards, I, I think like by, by design or by nature, they get some training, but they're not necessarily the strongest warrior. I mean, this guy went toe-to-toe with Broken Sword in the retelling, where another thing that we have to have a little bit of uh, suspension of, of disbelief here, but he, he went toe-to-toe with Broken Sword in this, and I think that is the actor doing uh, what, what he's doing there, uh, Chen Daoming as the King of Kin. Like that's awesome to me that like that that he was there, and I, I think always having him in that one place because he doesn't really move that much in the movie either. He kind of sits mm-hmm. on that one uh, in front of those seventy candles. Uh, another another just kind of 
cool visual. If if you had to if you had to ask me for just a, a really quick description of why I said, hey, we should watch this movie, I'm like, it just looks great, and it, it might be the 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 prettiest movie I've ever seen. Uh, even even some of these short scenes with, you know, when there's only six people that you're ever really looking at, one of them, uh, you know, one of the principal actors got to be your least favorite. Those candles were very unhelpful, or at least timing wise he's like i have a hundred <laughs> candles and they have told me you're an assassin it's like i would tell you you're he's an assassin prior to dis- <laughs> dismissing the guards but you know the 10 feet yeah. rule he's uh he is social distancing in ancient t- china so good for him uh, yes. Yes, 10 paces yes. <laughs> yes and it's very convenient it's like your technique 10 paces yeah, yeah. First, first, a hundred, then fifty, then twenty, then ten, or something like that. Uh, do you do you think that um, that when the when the king calls out nameless for the story, uh, do you think that you had audience members that were looking for what's actually going on here, and uh, like the moment that they see him approach further than a hundred, closer to a hundred feet, you have people saying like, "Oh, he's an assassin," um, and then thirty minutes into the movie. For the movie maker to say, I'm going to have a character kind of pounce on what you think is the right theory and say, yeah, hey, you're an assassin. I know I know what's going on here. Let's retell the story a little bit. Uh, what did you guys think about that as being like a, a tool for moving the story forward? Is like if you're trying to get ahead of this, oh, don't worry. We've got several more zags to go. I think it's the hope. Like the hope is that people were buying into what was going on and that was going to be the end result. And then what you have to do is, is go with a really hard sidetrack. Like that's, that's what happened about yeah, I say, 40, 46 minutes in was that hard sidetrack. Like he's close enough. He's calling you out. The fact that you are an assassin, he's already accomplished his goal. He's close enough. That's already been done. So what actually happens in the rest of this movie? Like what's, what is the generational piece that you're going to get from the rest of it? And that's actually what makes the movie like most of what build up comes to that piece because you get two switches. You get the initial switch, which is I've already seen through you. I'm a very smart ruler. Then you get the, you are a very smart ruler and you're right about some of it, but here's where you're wrong. And I don't feel like you get that from a lot of films where you can literally get the, uh, aha, but aha, ha, ha. And, and yeah, they, they counter each other's counter. I think it goes back and forth like four times. Oh, Almost I mean, like a sword fight. <laughs> Whoa! Oh man, my head just exploded. Yeah, it, it's um, I, and I I don't think I gave it that much credit when I was younger, but I I give it more credit now, uh, for 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 that for kind of keeping, uh, keeping you, keeping the audience member like what what is actually real here, um, and caring about the I mean, th- four of the six main characters are assassins. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an anti. This is not an anti-hero movie. Uh, you know, you're not rooting for the Punisher here. You're, you're just uh, okay. This is, this is, this is the 
world that we've been set up as. Um, and uh, then you've got, I guess, two two characters who are slightly more minor, Zhang Ziyi as, as Moon, who just kind of uh, is an emotional character, fun to see in a movie where there's a whole lot of – oh, and this was brought up a little earlier that I didn't say anything else about – a whole lot of slow motion in this movie. Mm-hmm. I believe I read something online where if you took away the slow motion, this is a 40-minute movie, <laughs> <laughs> which which I think is true. There's so much yeah, slow true. motion in this movie. And it's not it's not bullet time slow motion. There's a lot of stuff that's just slow. And then there's also things that are like um, uh, the, the, the two combatants need to reposition themselves and as they're doing it, the, the the scene is like superimposed with their face and the color of the scene in their eyes, and like it's very artistic, uh, and it's and but it's still pretty slow, like like moving as this goes on. Um, but I, I just the the with these these with Zhang Ziyi uh, with 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 Moon here, um, she, she finds herself as like a a little like side part of a story from like everybody's perspective and all she's doing is getting hurt but the the people around her are just losing their lives she's you know not not factoring into the end plot much yeah unfortunately so we've really gotten deep into the plot here but let's talk about a little bit about the atmosphere the soundtrack uh, does tend to lead to what happens in the movie. It, it's interlaced. Uh, Chad, how do you feel about how they work music into this? Oh, you set me up for failure right off the bat. <laughs> I absolutely hated this soundtrack. I felt like it made the movie seem much, much longer and it dragged the entire film down. Uh, they used some unique instruments to set up the pieces. I just, I am culturally ignorant and it was lost on me. So I'm like, please stop slow playing the drums. Just, just please stop. I don't need another violin solo. This was not Howard Shore, Lord of the Rings epic. I wanted legendary. You're right. With violin, all they got was Yitzhak Perlman. That's the only (laughs) violinist they got. Just maybe one of the most I, recognized. I, I so the missed the mark on this. I was. I thought you had like something like really like profound to say. <laughs> I, I, I'm not. <laughs> I knew. I knew that's what he was going to say. <laughs> no, no, I feel bad because I was like, oh, okay, he's, he's <laughs> yeah. got some shit. Yeah, he he's got to say. Let's, he, let's do this. It's fine. It's being. It's fine being set up for failure. That's that's part of the fun it's like hey i, I would disagree way, i don't right? think it's being just... set up for failure saying that you didn't yeah. like something isn't failure no, not at all yeah. it's just like i bet you really enjoyed it. no i did not sir <laughs> <laughs> well let, let me ask you this uh like in general i actually kind of dig this musical style as a like a relaxation piece like does anybody else follow me on this like that Absolutely. that the sag, the, the segue pieces that go between where they have these uh, very specific instruments playing these slower tunes are almost as liquid as the martial arts. Oh, see, I'm going to attack another movie that you love, Brian, and now you can really just come down on me. This, <laughs> this is Kingdom of Heaven territory where... Oh. 
another movie completely <laughs> ruined by the soundtrack because it's just slow plotting it's like this movie is long enough i don't need long drawn out violin stop i absolutely I'm, I'm happy you brought this up because i tried to have my mom watch this movie <laughs> not not hero uh kingdom of heaven and she's like what what exactly is going on and i'm like you know what everyone says this i'm just gonna walk away now <laughs> well you know uh chad you mentioned the 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 unique instruments um the the only other thing really I, I wanted to make sure we brought up at least a little bit was yeah you know, we talked about about the, the the way the movie was created and and the, the the political background here and we did talk about like the beauty of the movie but this is a martial arts movie so there were some fight scenes mm-hmm. um the with the music the the first there there's the first two fight scenes in the movie are accompanied with uh like a a music player and it's on the the guchin in the the chess bar or the chess lounge where uh the, the the old blind man is playing i thought it was a dulcimer or something but it's called like a guchin and uh that that scene with him like stringing along those things during uh the fight in the rain with sky i think that is it's the scene i've watched the most i would say it is my favorite fight scene in this movie um, and, and and I just I wanted to gauge you two on on if there was one that stood out like oh this is the one I really liked I will say the spear that uh, Donnie Yen is using you see that spear in a lot of different movies and in a, a lot of different uh, time periods uh, the way that it moves is it is a I think a bamboo spear they, they have it looking like it's made of metal or like it's a silver spear but um, that exact same shape and that exact the the way that it moves. Uh, is v- exactly similar to a very classic like bamboo spear with that same tuft uh, that's used in the fighting like as part of like a distraction a lot of very quick movements um and the th- that 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 one i think i i've rewatched more than any other scene do you guys have a favorite in the movie or period in this movie, in this movie, I think we if we want to do a, a whole separate podcast, a separate retro movie fight table where we talk about our favorite fight scenes, I'm down. But I'm just talking about Hero. No, I, I guess the reason I ask is in terms of of weapons you see reused quite frequently off of pop culture. I was thinking more of the Highlander sword <laughs> like that samurai sword is like really copied and pasted heavily <laughs> throughout pop culture as like the samurai like the the specific like the ivory color handle like dragon end yep. sword that Duncan yeah. McLeod uses Donnie Yen Carm- yeah, I mean, it's 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 a heavily used Donnie Yen was in Highlander though he was in Endgame yeah. And it's even uh, it's even used in uh, uh, altered carbon. But anyway, my, t- to your point, like yes, I I hear you that it's a commonly used uh, set point. Do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite scene? Uh, like like uh, is it you know between Broken Sword and 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 Nameless? Uh, is it between Broken Sword and the Emperor? Is it between uh, Moon and uh, Snow? Like I just, I, I think the colors of Moon and Snow, the bright orange that fades to red, is really visually striking. But striking, but um, yeah, I just if you don't have one, that's fine. I just maybe maybe they're all good to me. 
No, I, if I'm going to go with a cinematography piece, my favorite fight scene is Sky and Nameless. If we're going to go with my favorite actual scene, period, and this is not toward our superlatives, just in terms of what I was just into at the time, it's between Snow and Broken Sword before Nameless steps in. It's, oh, yeah. Their, their dichotomy is the pull of this movie for me. It's the the disagreement, the understanding of each other's talents. It is the hatred that isn't hatred. Like, they load so much into their relationship with no emphasis whatsoever on their relationship. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's palpable. That it is, is amazing. Like, that is, that's the heavy in this movie for me. It's is great. There, you can say, you know, as far as the political piece on this, like, the Broken Sword was wrong. But Broken Sword didn't see 2,000 years in the future. He liked the unity aspect to the point where you would die for it. He had no idea how that would be executed. Mm, poor choice but, of words. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. And yeah. although his counterpart, his 1B, his the love of his life, like he'd rather die and be wrong and fine with that than go against what he thought was in the best interest. And I respect that. I also respect the fire that Snow has against it. So the contrasting elements of their relationship is the, are really the crux and what I love the most about this movie. I think for me, Sword and Snow's fight scene at the very end, uh, when everything's there in your muddy desert, it's brown, mm -hmm. we know, we're pretty sure at this point, it's real. There's We're not getting all these pops of color and everything else. Everything Brian just touched on, the... I acting, the chemistry, the passion. They really go at each other for a while until Broken Sword just decides yeah, I'm gonna yeah, yield. I'm gonna drop my sword in the middle of the one fantastical moment where they're flying at each other, but otherwise it was a very down to earth fight. And I think that's why it's my favorite fight scene. Yeah, it's yeah, I, I like that uh that Fry said uh like it's heavy their their connections really palpable i really like that fight scene too and it ends with you know him in her arms and she repeats it three times different ways why didn't you block my strike yeah, yeah like like she that's not how this was supposed to end to any of them but it it does and it feels weighty i'm glad i'm glad i got your your answers on that I, i'm i'm i was brought in if you guys remember i was brought in as the romance guy to the retro movie roundtable and 
now we're pivoting to have me being in the martial arts ones. Maybe we start doing more of these. Yeah, you've stolen my thunder. <laughs> All right, guys. I think it's about time to do some superlatives. Are you guys good? Woohoo! Ready. <laughs> Favorite part? All right. So MVP. So most valuable actor. Maybe it should be an MVA. Uh, let's go, Chad. I am not choosing an actor. I'm. We haven't dropped his name, but we've talked about his work. Christopher Doyle. He's the cinematographer, and he, in my mind, is what makes this movie so memorable. And man, he just did a fantastic job. Okay, well, he just brought P back into the, the, the value system. Um, <laughs> Phrasing. And this yeah, is Dustin right. Mallard's bringing some more P back into the system. And uh, <laughs> Let's not make this a thing. Malachi? Dustin Malachi? <laughs> This is Dustin Malachi Mallers, and I'm here to tell you, uh, it's Zhang Z, uh, Yimou. Zhang Yimou is, is my, uh, that's the director. Uh, the the storytelling aspect of this, I, I think the closest thing, like, when I was young and learning that things don't have to be linear was was nuts to me. I think the first one that I saw was like Pulp Fiction in that way. Uh, and then I, I still don't understand Memento. But this movie. <laughs> Nobody does. <laughs> yeah um i don't get it but this movie i do get and uh combined with doyle's work the cinematography i i do like the music uh and in in total this is uh what i want out of out of a out of a movie this is more than just a martial arts movie to me it's, it's more complete uh and so uh hats off to zhang excellent excellent i went with maggie chung for mine uh flying snow was my absolute favorite character in this i felt like she showed the deepest range uh from across i mean you can have nameless who really just kind of keeps the status quo through the whole film sky same kind of deal he's limited in terms of his scream time and then broken sword Obviously, he's got a bunch of stuff going on with him and Snow, but I felt like in terms of, of, of character development and and how they end the story, Flying Snow was my favorite. Very nice. I think you're, I think you're spot on. That's a, I, I agree with you. So uh, supporting actor, Chad. Yeah, this is my first actor. You hit it with your MVP, but it's Maggie Chung. I think you she does a great job conveying the conflict in her, the frustration with Broken Sword, and just ultimately the re regret that drives her to suicide. It's all believable with very little dialogue. That's uh, that's three for three, boys, because that's my best supporting actor, because I did not go actor with MVP. Uh, Maggie Chung for me as well. She gets to do a lot of acting, not a lot of dialogue needed even. Uh, I mean, I think the first glimpse you get of her is sipping tea and splashing it over her shoulder into uh, Zhang Ziyi's face. She's uh, she's she's great. She, it, it, I'm actually kind of amending it. It's not best supporting actor. Of the six people to pick from, she's the best. Right. I've really kind of hammered this already, but my supporting is Tony Xiaowei Lang. It's Broken Sword because it's the two of them that make this movie compelling for me. It's it's the difference, but yet like it, their polarizing aspects really make this film for me, and yeah, I just I, I I couldn't think of anybody else but to put 
I, I think she was number one. He was number two. You are feeling the love tonight. I did. I did. I, I really like the more I watched this movie, the first time I saw it, I had none of these takes. Like yep. this was just a, an interesting movie to watch. Beautiful movie to watch. And the more I watched it for the podcast, like specifically eye to detail, I was like, man, this is not at all what they're going for, but this is what it should have been. Yeah. And that intricate piece of, of them in this was striking to me. It's not the point, but it's the striking piece for me. Yeah, it'll be more memorable about this movie than than why I picked it. Like that wasn't why I picked it, but it will be more of that percentage now. Totally. Hidden gem for you, Chad. I went with Donnie Yin. He's been around for me for a long time. I mentioned Highlander Endgame. He keeps popping up in great stuff that I enjoy. Most notably from recent memory is Chirrut Imwe from Rogue One. Put Donnie yep. Yen in more movies, please. What's the line there? I'm I'm one with the force. The force is with me. Something yes. like that. Uh, I, yeah, being a big Donnie Yen fan uh, helped me love that movie even more. Uh, my hidden gem is um, it's I think Zhang Ziyi is going to be remembered most uh, in history for Memoirs of a Geisha from mm-hmm. 05. But in the martial arts movies she's in, she is often playing uh, a younger woman who is who gets emotional and and i think it's really well done when she does it she she's an actor slash model and so it's not often that we get the model style actresses that have range um and her 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 range of of when she is upset crying screaming uh bloodlust twin swords coming uh it's it's really it's really well done for her so it's just that aspect of of her acting is something that I, I hadn't really put much thought into before, but that's my hidden gem is her range. That's awesome. I actually agree with Chad. Um, it was one of those like, ha ha, I love you. <laughs> like you see, I'm like, oh, I love this guy. So uh, yeah, definitely back that up. It's, it's just so much fun when I see him in movies and I'm always behind it. Uh, do you have a recast Dustin? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, and though I love Donnie Yen, I'm actually recasting him uh, because he plays only one emotion the whole time. Uh, and in recounting the story, they don't – I mean, I guess it's potentially up for debate. They don't actually fight. This is all done in their mind before he uses the move uh, or, like, they just agree to do this fake fight, whatever. But um, I, I was going to put in a Wu Jing and I don't know if he's that popular here in the States, but uh, he was in a Donnie Yen movie called Kill Zone. And, and he plays uh, kind of a, a high-strung, uh, very fast-twitch martial artist that I think um, – and I'll, I'll save this little detail for just a little bit later. But I think if you were to potentially retell Sky's story, having somebody with – we've got enough stoic people in this movie, if we're being sure. Fair. So, so to replace one of them with someone a little more high strung, that's my recast. Mm, okay. Gotcha. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I'm I'm going with Zhang Ziyi. She did do a great job. She played Moon, but I'm going with Fan Bingbing. Uh, she was most recently in X Men: Days of Future Past. She was Blink. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, dude. One of my favorite X-Men characters, too. Yeah. Finn is just a little younger looking. I think that was what struck me is saying she she looks a little too old to be as impulsive and reactionary as she is. I wanted someone slightly younger in the role. Someone else I thought of was uh, Lou Yifi, who played Mulan in the most recent live action, but just a, a tiny bit younger. Makes sense. I've had a couple instances where I felt this way, but I, I'm a huge Chow Young Fett fan. Yeah. I kind of wanted him to be the emperor. Oh, I like that. That's a good one. Like, I think he would have been a really, like, compelling emperor piece, like, especially, like, picturing him from things like Batman Begins. I just, I feel like there could have been, like, a cool, like, zen piece of him being emperor. He's always going to be limo by to me. Like, like, I I, I I can't. I can't even. What else has he been in? I don't. I don't know. But I mean, I all kinds of stuff. But yeah, but. he'll he'll always be Lee Mubai. But yeah, that's that's a that's a good recast too. Best shot, Chad. I think the forest scene with snow standing under under the tree and it's pouring leaves is just probably the most gorgeous shot I've seen in all of cinema. Wow, I mean, and, and you're you're not wrong. There's it's 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 incredible. Is that is are you doubling down or? Oh no, I'm not doubling down. I, I think that's a great scene in terms of beauty. My, mine uh, is in the desert. Uh, when Broken Sword and Snow are awaiting a flag from uh, an old man on a horse, uh, <laughs> and, and they're standing on two different stone pillars. Uh, which uh, I I think that desert locale is actually really pretty as well. But I think what, what's important about that is we know that they have they have two different beliefs. I think at the moment she was she's still going to be surprised that it's yellow. She's expecting red because uh, she doesn't know about broken swords ideals seeping into nameless yet. So seeing them standing on on like two different pillars of ideals in a way, uh, I thought was really well done. I hate you so much right now. <laughs> Is that yours? <laughs> I literally have in my notes two standing on desolate hill- hilltops waiting for flag. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I completely agree with you. Like that was literally, I mean, it, it's, it, it brings back my point of why these two are so important to this plot. Like it's yes, they, they feel this way for each other, but they also have this difference in nationalistic values for you know, lack of a better term, because it's, it's what the movie ends up being. But that really was the most striking cinematographic aspect of this was the two of them waiting for the word. And wow. I mean, that was, that was a very heavy point because it does, didn't just have wait for what happens to the country. It has wait for what happens to them. Yeah. All right. So best scene. Dustin. Uh, mine is uh, uh, involving these two characters again. It is in the calligraphy school. Uh, Broken Sword uh, says, all right, for an eight-foot piece, I'm going to need red ink. And it starts the back and forth between, oh, well, you'll need to request red ink from the mistress. And so it starts that back and forth between them that culminates with uh, it culminates with 
Broken Sword uh, taking Moon, have, you know, having sex with his uh, assistant. I wanted you to see uh, their back and forth that ends up with with the the sword through the wall through Broken Sword. Uh, I that's my favorite. Uh, I think there's some awesome camera work when they go down the hallways to show how tumultuous the relationship is. Uh, that's the best scene for me. Chad, I went with the lake scene. It's up there. It's probably my favorite fight that didn't happen i guess it took yeah. almost three weeks to film it sh- it shows in the beauty of that scene the director was insisting the water be perfectly still so they were only filming for like two hours a day every single day it's just a labor of love and i loved it for me the best scene was the fight between nameless and sky i really thought that this was lost uh it toward the end of the movie Sky's piece in this was relegated very low. His whole piece where he pays the guy to play music while they fought in their minds. Like that was, <laughs> that was, that's such a cool thing. It's like, cool. I just, I was really like that. That's what got me into the movie in the first place. Like, I'm not sure like what my feelings would be later on if it weren't for that initial piece. So although it ends up being not as important in the greater scheme in terms of, you know, all of the gravity that happens in the hour and a half after that, that part really sets you up for it because you're just like, oh, man, this is crazy. This is awesome. It's a great one. Yeah. And he fights those seven dudes without even unsheathing his uh, right. his spear. He's got the leather yeah. holster on, I guess we'll say. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you have anything to say about the uh, best wardrobe, makeup, Dustin? So, uh, Snow, Snow, I wouldn't say she's particularly pale. I also don't tend to notice uh, white people's faces being pale, nor do I even like using the word. So I don't like thinking about Asian actresses or you know Asian people at, 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 like having fair complexions. But <clears throat> that all being said, uh, there's a, a just the beautiful scene that Chad had mentioned with the leaves falling. Uh, and it's orange, and then it turns to red. Her uh, decision to keep her face, you know, devoid of rouge or lipstick—it's it's very, like I said, pale. I don't like to use the word, but that is just so visually striking and, and beautiful. That's my—that's my favorite. Yeah. Chad, going back to the red sequences, there's a special shade of red dye that had to be imported from England to dye the clothing and make the costumes look just right on wow. camera. So. You know, that's a little bit of wardrobe attention to detail of, okay, we can't just get Sherman Williams red or whatever. We've got to go import <laughs> English red. <laughs> I I spent two wonderful years doing uh, classes in college that were absolutely no benefit to me later on in life, except the fact that I enjoy them. You mean the Frisbee course we took together? Uh, no, that was that, that that look. That's awesome forever. That's <laughs> that's just that's just necessary. Uh, no, I'm talking about my humanities classes. Oh, yes. um, they were m- easily the my favorite non-essential courses that I ever took, and one of them uh, went into dyes. Like they literally talked about uh, various countries. Uh, the beetles, bugs, and other things that they use to 
create the colors that are synonymous with their countries and with their clothing. And it blew my mind the various things that you could crush and destroy to create a color. Um, but uh, it was it was super interesting. I, and this wasn't like a huge piece. We're talking about like a day or two of 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 talk on it. But it was something that that really like hit with me because they go through so many different cultures and how various colors were generated by the insects and you know whatever else they had handy uh to create them and why and that was just a mind-blowing piece for me yeah phonation purple yeah so what's uh, americans color like red dye 23 the stuff we put in our food (laughs) (laughs) ketchup it's ketchup 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 red (laughs) uh change one thing chad so did I mention I hated the soundtrack? I, I believe once or twice. I really hate the soundtrack. <laughs> Please rescore this entire movie to make it less plotting and make it feel more legendary. I mean, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to argue against making music better. Um, so <laughs> That's his nice way of saying I disagree with everything you said. <laughs> my change one thing is um, I think it, it could be cool if, if we – if the stories are being told from a different perspective, if like the fighting style or the tone slash speed of like how quick the movements are, uh, I was thinking of this idea and I mentioned it a little earlier, uh, the sky spear fight, it could go one way when um, nameless is telling the story, but maybe he fights differently. Uh, There's only so much, there's only so much many words I can use to describe that. But uh, you know, if, if, he were recast maybe he fights extremely viciously in one retelling and extremely stoically in another i thought that would be a cool way to uh implement that that storytelling aspect a a second way or an additional way i like it i i had a really hard time with change one thing because i didn't feel qualified to augment a movie like this but i will say that if I had to change one thing, at least make it more understandable about scene changes. Like, you give me a map. Get left behind a little bit. Well, like, you, you give me a map initially. Maybe have segue pieces like zero in, like back out and zero in on where the next part is happening. So I can at least follow uh, uh, geographically. So I can at least follow along how this is happening, because I I just felt like they cherry picked the best, most beautiful locations in China and said, yeah, they're happening everywhere. So you've got the Game of Thrones map going up and popping up and saying this region. Da, 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 da. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I I could go for that. That's fine. I could too. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So uh, best quote. Chad. Since you wish to die, I will assist you. That's good. That's a good one. To think that one character could be written 19 different ways. How can people communicate when they do not understand each other? You know, that is the one benefit of a dictatorship, is you can condense (laughs) all the characters into one. That's what he says he's going to do, too. Everyone's going to speak the same language. It's going to be great. (laughs) 
here will keep them in line. Oh, wait. <laughs> I had a hard time at times not taking this dirty, but I feel like the cycle down piece of this movie, how swift your sword is. <laughs> oh, awesome. Just leave it there. <laughs> Mo- movie quotes every man wishes to hear from his wife. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, you probably don't want to hear that. Take it back. Take it back. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, let's do some uh, ratings, ratings and recommendations now. So, Dustin, on a scale of one to five. Okay. Put- uh, this has happened before, and it's happening today. Uh, I went into this podcast with a four and a half stars. I would have said the only thing that like really stood out to me that that didn't because it is a favorite of mine. But I do think they overuse slow motion. I think I think that the the martial arts scene, uh, if they're leaning one direction or the other, they're leaning maybe too much towards beauty and dancing as opposed to uh, hard hitting steel. And so so like if if that had to swing back in the direction, it would be towards the the things that are not done on wires. Although I love the wire stuff, I'm just saying if it had to swing a direction, that would be it. But I'm actually, uh, this is now a four-star movie for me because I really had to take what Chad had to say about about the um, the the outside real world aspects of how this movie's made and what it's meant to do. Uh, so while it is still always going to remain a favorite movie of mine, this is now a, this is a four star movie for me. It's easy to blame Quentin Tarantino. He presented this movie. He brought it to I America. Saw, I saw that. It's like the first paragraph on Wiki. Yep. <laughs> we keep doing his movies even when they're from China. <laughs> yep. You're sneaking them in. It's like Jet Li Chinese movie. Great. This won't have Quentin Tarantino at all. Son of a. <laughs> got me again sneaky sneaky alright Chad I'm tr- I've been trying not to beat this dead horse but I have trouble giving this more than three stars it's gorgeous but the historical message is extremely problematic when you consider what follows uh, to me it's glorifying the world's first police state and I, I know I'm, I've now gotten our podcast banned in China so I apologize to all of our Chinese listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. We'll miss you. Until now. I can't really speak to that. But <laughs> I, I, I No, the thing is, I, I, I agree. <laughs> the bottom line is I agree. The, for me, this movie has always been a visually striking piece. It's It's been more about the feeling than the plot. And... It's. It, I think it's important in a way to give that sort of credence to an area that is basically rife with strife right now. I mean, we we have issues with China, and there are obviously gorgeous parts to what their culture could provide. I, I guess I'm trying to olive branch the fact that I recognize this is a beautiful place. And although we don't necessarily agree all on political aspects, uh, a nod to that. Very good. All right. 
we got to pick a movie for next time that will be less politically charged, or will it? We've done born on the Fourth of July. I think that's as political <laughs> as it gets. Oh, hey, I, you didn't. You didn't give a number of stars. Oh, four stars. I said four. Stars. <laughs> so, well, okay, yeah. I don't know how you want to put it in, but yeah, four stars. I thought I said four. Oh, sorry, four stars for me. So for next time, option one. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, when Robin and his Moorish companion come to England and the tyranny of the Sheriff of Nottingham, he decides to fight back as an outlaw. Option two, Robin Hood, 2010, in 12th century England, Robin Longstride and his bound of marauders confront corruption in a local village and lead an uprising against the crown that will forever alter the balance of power for England. Option three. Disney's Robin Hood, 1973. The story of a legendary British outlaw is portrayed with the characters as humanoid animals. So, yeah, we're picking Robin Hood, right? <laughs> I, I think we are, in fact, picking Robin Hood. <laughs> Let's go with the Kevin Costner one. Let's go with 1991's Prince of Thieves. Let's rein this in. We've got we've to establish our Robin Hoods. All right. All right, we're going with two th- or 2001's, no, I'm sorry, 1991's Robin Hood. We're going to go with that one. So uh, thank you all for joining us today. And thank all of you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Table. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like on Facebook, and more importantly, comments. We love your comments. We will reply to you. Follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Producing and providing this podcast is fun but not free. We invite you to support the show at Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash retro movie roundtable. Any contribution is appreciated and will go toward making the show better for you, the listener. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Jet? I know Kung Fu.